This morning, I have a call to worship and action by Sharon Wiley. It is said that ministers are here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I say we are all afflicted and we are all comfortable. May our time together this morning be a comfort and a confrontation. May we find here peace in times of tumult and may we invite tumult into the lives of peace. May we here invite, may we here find calm in times of restlessness. May we here allow restlessness to evolve to action. Let this be the place you consider what you've never considered. Let this be the place you imagine for yourself something new and unthinkable. May this hour bring dreams of new ways of being in the world. Come, let us worship together. Good morning. I'm Sandy. Uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him, his, and y'all. <laughs> it's really the great non-gender specific second person plural pronoun. We don't have anything else like it in English. Um, today's service, though, folks, I wanted to say a couple of words of introduction on, on today's service and the thought process um, in, in putting it together. Um, it focuses, I wanted to focus on what we have in, as individuals can do and what must do to perform what I would call, uh, I was going to call it the inner work of resistance, and I, and I think I did uh, at some point. But um, it really is, must, might be better referred to as the preventative maintenance for resistance. Um, and it, it allows us to sort of maintain the movement of resistance against the forces of injustice and oppression that are active in this world. And so to illuminate the message that I'll be delivering in the sermon, uh, Bess and I chose music and readings to represent uh, both what must be resisted and the means by which we do that. Uh, we began the service with Iris Dement's anthem to uh, speaking up in the times of the struggle. We're, we will follow that with uh, Luther's militant hymn, A Mighty Fortress, uh, which uh, the text reflects that struggle to maintain truth, the quest for truth and faith against uh, an ancient foe of great worldly power. Our offertory music uh, is a, a piece by uh, Thomas Tallis, a 16th century English uh, Catholic composer who served the crown during a potently anti-Catholic age and whose intricate and exquisitely crafted music was out of favor and was prohibited from performance in the English, uh, English rite at the time. And so it, what was done by those who resisted the imposition of Protestant uh, uh, religious practice at the time uh, was to perform those services in secret in the homes of uh, crypto-Catholics. Luther's ancient foe again appears in our ancient in our major reading. Uh, so for those of you who might be concerned that uh, uh, we've temporarily, temporarily exchanged buildings with another different denomination, I'm going to put my hopefully UU spin on this in, during the actual sermon. <laughs> but our final hymn then offers, and the postlude, which is still a surprise, uh, it offers some of the visions of what the, our world can be if and when our resistance through the forces of hate and oppression actually are successful. So I invite you now to please rise as you're able. Join us in the first hymn composed by the man who, in a fit of resistance, posted 95 theses on the, on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. 
wrested the power of scriptural interpretation from the priesthood, transferred that right to anybody who could read and to enable them to do that, translated the Bible from Latin into his, his native German. And in so doing, ignited a resistance movement whose legacy we today are heir to. It's number 200 in your hymnals, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper sure amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe with craft and power great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not an equal God's word above all earthly powers no thanks to them Spirit and the gifts are ours through God who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth. Turning and turning in a widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, and the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out of my mouth when a vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight, a waste of desert sand, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, its gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs while all about it wind shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again. But now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour comes round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. In the late 1960s, my mother 
Jackie Gibbons, was teaching journalism at Newton High School in Massachusetts, near Boston. The Vietnam War was in high gear. Protests were sprouting up everywhere, and particularly in the city of Boston, with its large draft-age collegiate population. Her brother was in Vietnam, and a childhood friend of hers, a classmate in a one-room schoolhouse that she attended, had been killed early during that war. One day, her students advised her that they would be going on what today, thanks to Greta Thunberg and others, would be called a student strike, and that they would be spending the day protesting the war. She agreed with the stipulation that she would hold them responsible for the material covered in class that day. The next day, all but one of her students were at, were, was absent. And they were protesting in the streets of Boston. The lone holdout was the daughter of a Middle Eastern immigrant. My mother taught a unit on the Vietnam War, covering the major issues of the day, why we were there, the perspective of both the native, uh, the Vietnamese population and the, American, and the American citizenry, the controversy surrounding that war. It was a balanced and thorough perspective informed by reputable news sources that would hopefully illuminate the issues of the day for her students, had they been there. The next day, she gave a pop quiz on the material that was covered. And all but one of those students in her class failed it. And that one, of course, was the young lady who was in attendance that day. All of the others learned a very important lesson that bears emphasis today. The lesson that I took from this anecdote is that the first work of resistance, of resistance to this power, is to know things. For, for Game of Thrones fans, there's another corollary to that, if, if, you are, if you're familiar with that. You can do that later. But you first have to do your homework. You have to do the research. You have to become familiar with the issues. We're all familiar with this, and we're all reasonably good at that. You have to fill your mind with the information and inf that inform a well-crafted argument and in favor of your position. And then you have to maintain your openness to new information as it comes in. This requires discipline. It requires critical thinking and respect for the methods of acquiring knowledge. It's, this alone is difficult. It takes time. But it makes that outer work that we do, the protests, the letter writing, all of that, it, it makes it that much more powerful. But this is getting harder. We live today in an age of instant media gratification, fake news, distortion, social and social media-enabled, promulgated, and, pro and promoted BS that is being generated by any number of sources, but not the least of which are foreign intelligence agencies and uh, working in the service of a number of corporate kleptocrat oligarchs. Okay, now you know where I stand. <clears throat> the worst is yet to come. Deep fake technology that will make Lucasfilm's uh, digital resurrection of Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher look cartoonish is on the way. Get ready for it. We are living in the midst of the largest experiment in mass gaslighting since the Soviet era. 
For those of you unfamiliar with the term, gaslighting is the abusive technique of rendering a victim unable to distinguish truth from reality. It is a hideous mixture of memory manipulation, suggestion, coercion, and constant mind games that renders the victim unable to trust his experience and memory and fulfilling that party's final and most essential command to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. I didn't have time to incorporate this into the sermon this morning, but there's, uh, I encourage you to go read the Washington Post. Um, it has a very nice piece on how to counteract gaslighting on this kind of scale. So you know, I encourage you to go read that when, when you have the chance. Furthermore, the ability to modify documents, pictures, and videos, the ability to erase entire archives at the click of a button, it has embodied George Orwell's own concept of the memory hole in such a comprehensive and facile manner that even he could not have foreseen. You'll never think of the phrase flash memory in the same way again. <clears throat> the ability to deluge the wires and the Wi-Fi with packets of passionate intensity micro-targeted to those who self-identify by the mass data hoses that are our social media platforms as particularly vulnerable to this, has enabled propaganda on a scale that would shock him from, from out of his worst nightmare. He who controls the past controls the future indeed. <clears throat> so in my mind, <clears throat> the first stanza of uh, but William Butler Yeats's poem that we heard to open this up, it was written in 1919 and immediately following World War I and the Russian Revolution in a time of upheaval, upheaval and turmoil. It describes a chaotic ecosystem with some analogies to the one we face today. It's a world in which the center certainly seems not to be holding, in which anarchy rules the airwaves and the internet and our political system. It's one in which our American innocence seems to be wallowing in a flood of hate speech and crypto-Nazism. <clears throat> it's one in which the flood of both good and reputable information leads well-meaning individuals to the paralysis of analysis that robs us of our conviction well, well, you know the rest. <clears throat> this ecosystem favors the evolution of monsters. Yeats conjures up a very potent high contrast image lit with the desert sun and shadowed by disturbed birds of such one such monster, a sphinx-like creature emerging unopposed with blank and pitiless gaze. This rough beast that slouches towards Bethlehem blank and pitiless, devoid of empathy, armed with cruel hate, and perhaps without even a will of its own, implacable, vexing us into nightmare. It is this monster that we are called to resist. And so that the darkness does not drop again onto us, we have to maintain the ability to trust our own experiences and deliberately to cultivate trust in one another. This is not easy. To do this, we have first and foremost to resist the external powers of obfuscation, deception, and propaganda. We have to call out BS anywhere we see it, even if it is from someone or an organization whose agenda aligns with ours. There can be no tolerance 
for misinformation, distortion, manipulation of evidence, or any of that. <clears throat> we have to maintain our personal connection to sources of truth and conquer our own desires to edit our histories, our own histories, in our favor. And to learn, to learn to learn, particularly from those who would provide us with feedback that we are ill-equipped to receive. So what can we do? <clears throat> we're, fondly, we're fond of using the phrase, history will not look kindly upon those who are responsible for this mess. Well, if we want something other than an otherworldly deity and whose existence not all in this room believe to be our judges, then there has to be a history upon which people can look back. Our inner work may begin with no things or the preventative maintenance that I alluded to earlier. But that is not, it's necessary, but it is not sufficient. As any good family lawyer will tell you, document everything. <clears throat> Much of the rest must be resist despair. So documentation refers to a great many things. And of course, the cell phone videos of arrests in progress, preservation of government documents or on non-government servers, screenshots, etc., and other activities that are designed to preserve information that power wants suppressed. <clears throat> so this, that filming of police activities is a powerful form of resistance to state power that can run amok. Environmental activists crash archived a, a, a cache of pre-1917 EPA environmental climate change policy documents uh, before it uh, disappeared days, weeks after the current administration took over. <clears throat> and without people dedicated to these forms of resistance, and these kind of, this would not happen. These are preservative efforts. And they are absolutely necessary. They're essential to provide us with accurate information to allow us to maintain the edifice of scientific knowledge and to maintain trust in our own memories and our own ability to do that work that is necessary to support resistance and to speak the truth to power. <clears throat> they do another thing, though. Doing this and documenting what we see and what we do by writing it, by writing about it, by filming it by creating documentaries and that sort of thing. It allows us to take back the narrative for ourselves, to reinforce our own experience, and especially to trust our own minds. So in, in, in addition to the documentation piece, the actual recording of historical events and all of this, there's more to documentation. There's more. It, it takes also synthetic and creative forms. And these are the arts. And we heard some of that documentation during the offertory, that codification of a theological system, uh, a set of beliefs in the form of an exquisite multi-part canon. Uh, it, it is that it is, in my mind, one of the great musical masterpieces. Uh, but it reflects an ordered and centered world, world that uh, Talis wanted to preserve. These arts, prose, poetry, as you heard in, the, in Yeats's work, music, visual arts, kinetic arts, these help lift the veil that obscures that Holy Spirit that lives with each of us that is so often suppressed or, or occluded 
by power. And it allows that, that lifting of that veil, that apocalypse, allows us to revel in our shared humanity and cultivate that compassion and empathy for the sufferings of others, which is another quality that is in desperately short supply nowadays. Resistance with that compassion attached allows us to temper our passionate intensity to which we, are, we can be prey and to create that community, that beauty, that gives us the ability to make the experience of, pro of resistance joyous, not necessarily happy, not necessarily fun, but rewarding and fulfilling. We may go down, our bodies they may kill, but we will go down singing. In addition to yielding that fodder for more creative and innovative protest chants, and we really do have to do better sometimes, we can lay hope into its rocking cradle. And this can be done even when there is no access to outside knowledge, and even in places where the outside has no access. This is possible. What would we know today of the inner truths of young people hiding in attics, European attics from Nazi persecution, if Anne Frank had given up her resistance to the despair of her times? She wrote, I want to go on living even after my death. And therefore, I am grateful to God for this gift, this possibility of developing myself and of writing, of expressing all that is in me. I can shake off everything if I write. My sorrows disappear. My courage is reborn. But, and that is the great question, will I ever be able to write anything great? Will I ever become a journalist or a writer? Alas, she never learned the answer to that question. But the fact that she accomplished these goals is evident to those of us who have heard her story or read her work. Her voice, written in secret and without the expectation of its publication, or perhaps even without the full awareness of the nature of her gifts, it came to us and we gained knowledge of those who lived, loved, and suffered as she did. And so right now I ask, are there children writing today in our camps, alone, unwashed, and clinging to the threads of humanity that remain to them, whose voices will ring out 75 years from now? History is not a kind filter. It's ruthless and it is random. The passage of documents artifacts, and information through time is subject to both loss by entropy and to deliberate destruction and erasure. So that in all ages, much of what is created is lost. And while the internet has been an enabling tool for documentation of this sort until now, the capabilities described in this sermon and the great firewall experiments going on in China and other authoritarian countries suggest that this halcyon period may be over and that we may need to go back to non-electronic forms of, of, of preservation. 
But as in evolution, some fraction of what we create, of what we document, it may not be the fittest at the time of its selection, but some fraction will survive. And the more we document, the more we create, the more likely it is that some of our work will survive. To paraphrase Michael Crichton, information finds a way. And we won't keep quiet. And are some at some future time, when our creations are discovered amidst the middens of ash and bone, our truth, your truth, the truth, will set people free. Please rise and join as you are able in our final creative act of the morning when we summon a vision of a city in which our actions, our very lives, form the shining ramparts of a mighty fortress of justice. Hymn number 140, Hail the Glorious Golden City. Hail the glorious golden city pictured by the seers of old. Everlasting light shines o'er it, wondrous things of it are told. Wise and righteous men and women dwell within its gleaming wall. Wrong is banished from its borders, justice reigns supreme o'er all. We are builders of that city, all our joys and all our groans. Help to rear its shining ramparts, all our lives are built. God of all oppressed persons, remind us of your presence in voices of protest. Shatter our self-complacent faith in liberty freely given and remind us of the cost of hard-won freedom. Let the pain of strangled dreams return to us, return us to a knowledge of our own triumphs in the struggle to be free. Shatter our freedom and let us learn to accept responsibility for the lives of the yearning people of the world. Amen. Blessed be.